0: What if generosity is something much more than just giving? What if generosity is at the very heart of God? The truth is this, God's love is overflowing and his storehouse of blessings is abundant. His generosity is unlimited. Because of his overflowing love and abundant blessings, our generosity must also be unlimited. In other words, being generous is not something we can choose or choose not to do. It is at the core of our identity in Christ. It is what we are created to be. We exist in order to give ourselves to others. Even more importantly, God gave himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ so that we could give the Christ that is living in us to others. Generosity. In other words, is at the heart of our creation. Let's work together to discover its mission, its motivation, and its measurement.
1: Well, I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving with family and friends. Uh, I must just say that it's been a little bit of a rough weekend for me as a Louisville Cardinals fan. All right. And so I never thought I would say this, but I just want to get this out there in hopes that... You UK fans will just shut up for the rest of the day. Congratulations. All right. Yeah, you won your Super Bowl, okay? All right. Now, truthfully, this is one of my favorite times of the year, the month between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And whether you know it or not, there are just 27 shopping days left until Christmas. Anybody have their shopping done? All right, about three of us. Very good, yeah. That yeah, we know that uh, we're either going to receive or give some gifts this Christmas that will either you know nail it with some people, will really hit the target, and then you know that we have people in our life that just really struggle with this whole gift-giving thing. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, they are those people that when they put their present in your lap, you're putting pressure on yourself to act excited and to be grateful for whatever it is that they have wrapped up. You know who I'm talking about, those kind of people that really struggle with gift giving? Just raise your hand for a minute. Keep your hand if they're here with you today. Keep your hand up. All right, a few of us. Uh, This past week, I thought about the different kind of gifts that we either will give or receive this Christmas season. And there are all kinds of gifts, right? The first gift is what we might call the re-gift. You know what I'm saying? And this is the gift that maybe you've received at some point in the past, but you never pulled it out of the box, never pulled it out of the wrapper, or uh, you just never did anything with it. And so when the perfect opportunity presented itself, you gave it to somebody else, hoping that they might receive it a little bit better than you. A little bit of confession time. Anybody in here ever done that? I did about a month ago, all right. Uh, A book I hadn't read, which isn't shocking, uh, I gave to a family member. The second kind of gift is what we might call the passive, the passive aggressive gift, all right? Now, this is the gift that, that we receive that has kind of a subtle message attached to it, all right? This is the gift that, that kind of opens the door for you to have uh, an opportunity to share your opinion with somebody about who they are. I heard about a mom recently who gave her daughter a nightgown for Christmas, and and she intentionally bought it two sizes too small. So when the daughter tried it on Christmas morning, and she saw that it was too small, the mom saw that as an open-door opportunity to say, well, you know what, honey, you need to lose that weight anyways if you ever want to get a date. Yeah, tis the season to be merry, right? Merry Christmas to you. Well, the other kind of gift that we might give or receive is uh, what we might call the backfire gift. All right, so your intentions are pure, your intentions are right, and you imagine the person really loving the gift that you give them, but then when they open it up, I mean, it just totally goes the wrong direction. I mean, you never in a million years imagine them doing what they did when they opened it, or maybe it's a couple days later. Uh, I heard about a guy in our church who bought his girlfriend an acne cleansing kit from Walgreens. It was his intention to be a really helpful gift because she was always talking about how gross her skin was and how oily it was. And, and so when she opened it up for the first time, she picked it up out of the box, threw it at his face, called him a jerk, and then ended the relationship right there. <laughs> and to be fair with you, that was the only time that a girl ever broke up with me in high school, <laughs> all right? <laughs> now, the other gift is what we would call the gift that's for you, but it's really for me right uh, my first Chris, our first christmas together as a married couple savannah wanted this really expensive nikon camera and I thought, there's no way I'm ever going to buy it for her. It was just too much money. But I then saw the price tag of the gun that I wanted from Bass Pro Shops. And so realizing that Savannah would never go for a gift for me that would cost that much, so I saw buying her the camera as an opportunity to kind of soften her heart and kind of guilt her into letting me get that gift And so, late one night, as I came home from class, I surprised her with this camera, and she couldn't believe it. I mean, she was just ecstatic. And two days later, I went out to Bass Pro Shop and got that gun. My plan worked. I mean, it was just amazing. So I gave her that gift, wanting to really get a gift of my own. I had pretty selfish motives with it. And you see, when we give presents, it really says a lot about who we are and how we think of what what we think about that other person, how much we care for them, how much we think about them, right? And you see, there are moments when why we give something is just as important as what we give. And you see, if our motives are revealed and those motives are pretty selfish, then it has the tendency to really downplay what the gift is it kind of ruins the point of giving that present to begin with right well, this weekend and next, here at Crossroads, we are going to look at God's design for generosity uh, in our life. And uh, you need to know that, yeah, we, we are going to be talking about money. We are going to be talking about finances for the next two weeks. And, and I know that talking about money in the church is a little bit weird for us. I mean, some of you may come in here thinking that you're, the perception you have of the church is that it's just a big pyramid scheme where the preacher's just trying to get you to give and, you know, I'll drive off in my Rolls Royce later, Right. And that's some, of the, that's some of the perceptions that we have. But, but I just want to just kind of confront that right on and say that if you are still skeptical of this whole Jesus thing, if, if you aren't a part of this church, all right, and you're still skeptical of this whole church thing, you don't have to listen to anything that I say. All right, join the other masses that are here. who Ignore me, all right, and just tune me out. I, I mean it. Because the Bible, when it talks about generosity and money management, it's usually in the context of somebody who has made a decision to trust their life with Jesus. But you see, if we're honest with ourselves, money is one of those things that has the potential to just wreck the most important parts of our life, right? I mean, that's just true. In fact... A recent marriage study revealed that finances are the number one reason for divorce. January is the most common month out of the entire year when divorces are filed for because couples have just come off the holiday and all the stress and strain of giving gifts to their friends and family members that they just can't seem to reconcile. And maybe this is why the Bible has over 2,300 passages talking about money and, and finances. In fact, finances, were the, it was the number one topic that Jesus talked about, more than heaven or Hell. I mean, this is a big deal. And so I want you to know up front that, that I'm not a financial expert. I don't have this whole money thing down pat, all right? I mean, my wife, Savannah, and I, we still struggle with it. I mean, it's a process and a journey. And, and Savannah and I, we have not argued about money since last night, all right? And uh, true story, very true. <laughs> but it's one of those things that has the potential for the good or bad uh, to make our life. And And what Savannah and I are learning in our own life is that money is never the issue. I mean, it's never really the problem, although we seem to point towards it as it is. Rather, money and finances simply reveal or expose the issue that oftentimes goes overlooked in our life. And so believe it or not, this is something that Jesus says, hey, if you want to not only make me your Savior but also your Lord, then it means allowing me to show you a better way to live in this compartment of your life. And so being the Lord, Jesus being the Lord of our life means not just giving over part of our life, but all of our life. And that includes this area of our life of financial management. And so if you have your Bibles or Bible app, I want you to go ahead and jump to the, second, uh, the book of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. If you don't own a Bible, uh, there's a black Bible right in front of you. If you're worshiping with us back in the chapels right on that table as you walked in a moment ago, uh, feel free to take that with you when you leave here today. All right, And uh, we are going to be in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. We'll be in chapter 8 and 9 uh, today and next weekend as well. All right, And today we're going to pick up in verse 6 of our text. Now, as you're jumping there, let me just uh, give you a little context of what's happening here. Uh, 2,000 years ago, there was a guy by the name of Paul who was told by God to go and just start a bunch of churches in the ancient world. And, and so Paul did that. And, and whenever Paul would start churches, he then would jump to another influential city and start another church. And, and so, as a way to continue influencing and leading the church from afar, he would oftentimes write letters to these churches that he started. And And usually these letters were the result of some issues or problems that were going on in the church. And and so this letter in particular was to the church in Corinth, and and this church was pretty messed up, all right? It was in a very broken and dark uh, city. Uh, In 1 Corinthians, we read about how there was a guy in the church who was boasting about having sex with his stepmom, all right? Yeah, pretty messed up. They were getting drunk at communion time. And so as a result, these people were turning to the Lord in a very broken city, and yet they were confused about what it really meant to follow Jesus in their life. And so these letters were written by Paul to tell them and inform them, hey, here's what it looks like. Do this. Don't do that. All right? And so when it came to money, this was something that the Corinthians kind of wanted to hold tightly to themselves it was something that they wanted to hoard, and yet Paul says, look, it's, it's actually not about that whatsoever. And so pick up with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. Here's what we read. Paul says, so we urge Titus, just as he had earlier, made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Now, that's going to be an important phrase that we'll look at here in just a moment. Paul then says, but since you excel in everything, in other words, you're just nailing it in every area of your life. I mean, when it comes to following Jesus, you're just hitting it out of the park. In faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. In other words, don't overlook your finances because Jesus actually cares about that too. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Paul then says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you've received it. This is something that's a reality for you. That though he was rich, in other words, though he's the sovereign king of the universe, he stepped into this dark and broken world, and for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, at the beginning of this chapter, Paul wrote about a group of churches in the Macedonian region that were poor and struggling, but had generously responded to the needs of the believers in Jerusalem. More than likely, the Macedonian churches had never met these people before. I mean, they probably had never run into them. And yet, when they became aware of this famine that they encountered and how many of them had lost jobs and they were encountering a lot of opposition and persecution, they were struggling to make ends meet. And so all the churches in the Macedonian region collectively sacrificed to then help them out. Now, we don't know how much they gave. We don't know the amount that was given to the Jerusalem believers. Do you know why? Because it doesn't really matter. It doesn't. You see, here's the thing about the mission of generosity. When it comes to our money management, God's primary concern goes like this. That it's not about how much you have but it's about what you do with what you have. Contrary to maybe what you've heard before, God does not look down on wealth. He does not look down on having a lot of possessions. No, but what God does care about is how well we manage what we have and how much we are actually putting our finances and our money towards things that matter most uh, to him. Now, I want you to notice in verse six of our text, how Paul says that, that when we practice generosity in our life, that it's really an act of grace, Now, grace, as we know, is the undeserved favor of God in the face of penalty and punishment. And and we've all been the recipients of this if we're in a relationship with Jesus. In another letter, Paul says that our salvation, our connection with God has been the result of God's generosity through Jesus Christ. Now, time out here for just a second. I want you to imagine for just a moment, somebody in your life that may be close to you, but far from God. This person lives a very broken life, all right? Their life is just a wreck and it pains you to see it. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a son or daughter. It could be a coworker, somebody that you're just close to, friends, you've been friends with this person for a really long time. And, and so whenever you have the opportunity to talk about Jesus, to talk about faith and how he provides a better way, not just for eternity, but in this life now, it seems like you're just talking to a brick wall. I mean, they don't respond to an invitation to, the, to church. They, they just change the topic whenever Jesus comes up, right? And you just feel as if, I, am I making any grounds? I mean, who, who is that person for you? Well, one question I just want to put before us today goes like this. What if? What if the one thing standing between Jesus and that person is a simple act of of generosity because you see what generosity does is it softens hearts it softens hearts it, it breaks down barriers and obstacles and it shows people and allows them to experience just what we've been given through what Christ did for us on the cross it really makes the invisible grace become visible and experiential for people in their life and that's what Paul meant when he said look this is an act of grace on your part whether you know it or not because of your generosity as a church uh, we're able to have a lot of work all across the globe. Now, last month, we sent a team to uh, a part of Asia to encourage and uh, just pour into some missionaries and churches that we partnered with there for several years. And one day when our team was there, they had some downtime, and so they decided to tour a local Hindu temple. And uh, Whenever they finished, the, the tour guide then stopped, and there was kind of a lull in the conversation. and, and He just asked our team, he said, have you ever seen God before? Well, our team responded. Somebody spoke up and said, yes, yes, we have seen God through, through Jesus Christ. Well, the tour guide then said, oh. He said, I see that you are Christian. He said, I am Hindu. Well, at this point, our team kind of braced for a little bit of an argument. They anticipated some tension escalating. But then he went on to say this. He said, I have never seen your God before. He said, but I have seen his work. He said, I have seen hungry people fed. I've seen children that nobody wanted taken in. I've seen the sick cared for. He said, I have not seen your God with my own eyes, but I have seen God through the work of the church, and that is not something that I have ever seen my gods do. I guess you could say that's really the difference between religion and Jesus. You see, religion is all about what you give to God. But Christianity is just the opposite. It's all about what God gave us through Jesus. And so when we practice generosity in our life, we make salvation tangible and experiential for people. We enable them to see who God is and what he's done for us. I want you to pick back up uh, in our text in 2 Corinthians 8. I want you to notice how Paul just seemed very hesitant, all right, to tell these believers to give. I mean, it's almost like he, he didn't even want to do it. He just was hesitating and, and just putting it off, Right? I mean, he wanted to make sure that, that if they gave, that they were gonna give for the right reasons because motives matter. And so here's something that we tend to overlook and we tend to miss when it comes to giving and when it comes to finances in our life. And it goes like this. Hopefully, it'll provide some freedom for a lot of us that why we give is just as important as what we give. Why we give is just as important as what we give. Now, as much as I hope we all walk away here today, all right, being more generous and having given more, We have to acknowledge the potential danger that comes with generosity in our life. Giving can just be another way for us to showcase spiritual maturity and selflessness, right? It's a way for us to put on display our humility. I just, I love being humble, especially when people notice. You know what I'm saying? And so generosity can be that way for us. But we know that what people see isn't always reality. I mean, all you have to do is scroll through Facebook or Instagram to know that this is true. A friend of mine recently posted this quote on his Facebook, I love it. He said it like this, may your life one day be as awesome as you pretend it to be on Facebook. (laughs) But you see, God, God sees what's really going on within us. He's not fooled by our actions. It's not that he, he, he doesn't see our empty motions. No, it's as if Jesus is more concerned about our why than our what. And if you don't believe me, Jesus said it at the very beginning of his ministry and perhaps the most famous sermon that he ever preached. He said it like this. One day, thousands of people were gathered on a mountainside and, and as they were gathered around, here's what Jesus said to them. He said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. And so when you give to the needy, Jesus said, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. Don't post it on your Instagram or Facebook or Twitter to be honored by others. It's in there somewhere, all right? (laughs) truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, this is really important, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I find it really interesting that immediately after talking about not practicing your righteousness in front of others, the very first tangible example that Jesus gives goes back to money. It goes back to the very thing that we want to hold on to tightly. You see, giving can just be another way for us to fool people, right? Now, why, why did Jesus start out with money when it came to this? Well, because as Jesus said later on, our money dictates our hearts. Our money. Our hearts follow our money. It's not the other way around. And so if you want to know what's most important to you, Jesus basically said, all you need to do is look at your bank statements. If you want to know what the number one competitor for me in my life is, Jesus says, look at your credit card statements. And so let me ask you this, according to what Jesus said right here, can you practice generosity? Can you practice generosity even if no one knows it's you, even if you get no credit for it? I mean, will you still leave that 20 anonymously on your coworker's desk? Or will you still pick up the tab of your lead pastor at the restaurant after services? <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm kidding. That's not even in my notes. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so, will you still give even if you don't receive any benefits? <laughs> Now, why we give is just as important as what we give. And if this weren't true, then, then Paul would have then commanded the Corinthians to, to give. And that, that would have been the easy thing for him to do. But look again at verse eight in our text. He said this, I'm not commanding you. In other words, I don't want you to be guilted into this, but I want you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Now, this was Paul's way of basically saying, hey, look, I'm not commanding you to do this. I'm not even telling you to do this. I'm just Telling, I'm simply giving you the example of the Macedonian churches, showing you what generosity looks like so that you might be inspired to go and do the same so that other people around you could experience and see in a very tangible way what Jesus has done for them. Now Jesus, Paul here did not want to command them to give because then they would have been motivated by guilt. Now, this is just a personal opinion of mine, all right? Uh, so you can tune me out for the next second or two if you want, but this is just my opinion. I think a lot of us, we really hesitate to learn about money in the church because we've all sat through talks before when it comes to money or giving or compassion or needs where it's just filled with drive-by guiltings. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're Americans. We've got it all together, and, you know, there's so many poor people, and it's just like it's not a very good motivating factor for us, Right? And so when it comes to giving, it's kind of like what my mom and dad used to tell me whenever I wouldn't finish my dinner at night, all right? They would say, well, Patrick, don't you know that there are starving kids in China? I mean, I have yet to look back on my childhood and ever remember that inspiring me to finish that mushroom casserole from hell in completion, all right? (laughs) It never did it. And so guilt is a poor motivator. And the other thing is this, that it doesn't last. And so is it possible that when it comes to our financial management, that God has a much better way for us? And so what I want to do just for the next few moments is, is I actually want to go about this a little bit differently. I want to give you four reasons to not give. (laughs) I'm going to give you four reasons to kind of check out and, and take a pass when it comes to generosity. All right. Why? Because why we give is just as important as what we give. And so, Here's the first reason that's a poor reason for us to give. It goes like this, God needs my money. (laughs) God needs my money. And so maybe you think that, therefore you respond in generosity. You respond by dropping an extra 20 in the plate as it goes by. But again, this is just another way of looking at something being motivated uh, by guilt. Now, when we're motivated by guilt, we either just ignore it, we run away from it, or we may respond to it, but it doesn't really last I mean, haven't we all been watching TV and that commercial, during a commercial break, that commercial pops up for the local Humane Society or whatever, and it shows those dogs with their rib cages, you know, showing in, in slow motion with the Sarah McLaughlin music playing in the background. That one dog looks up and it's just shaking and it kind of gives you those big puppy dog eyes and bam, drive by guilting, you know, it's like give to us. And, and so, what do you do when that commercial comes on? Yeah, he changed the channel, right? I mean, I've learned to just walk out of the room because if I don't, then my wife is gonna ask me at the end of the month why we sent another $500 to the Humane Society. (laughs) And so again, why we give is just as important as what we give. God offers us a better motivating factor when it comes to generosity. And so I think it's important that we all remember that the creator of the universe is not so small that he needs us. And yet we're not so significant that he needs us as well. Job in the Old Testament, he went through a time in his life where he just went through a lot of suffering and and so after that, he, he just, he, he walked through a lot of darkness where he was questioning God and wondering about his existence and, and God, are you really sovereign? God, are you really who you say that you are? And, and he went from kind of doubting and questioning to this place of skepticism. And, and so finally, God responds after all of, after a big season of, of silence and, and keeping Job at a distance. And so God just kind of takes Job to the mat and says, hey, look, just so you remember, I'm not accountable to anybody. I'm the creator of the heavens and the earth. And so, after God just lays Job out here on the mat and just takes him down, here's what Job says. Here's the first thing that he responds with. Talking to God, he says, I know that you can do anything and that no one can stop you. That's the God that we serve, that's the vastness of our creator. See, if God needed us, he wouldn't be sovereign, right? You see, he wouldn't be deserving of our praise and worship. And while God doesn't need us, understand this, he allows us to be a part of his work in this world. He allows us to be a part of his greater mission all across the globe. You see, God wants us to use, God wants to use our generosity as an opportunity to be a part of something much bigger than our own lives. Now, here's another bad reason to give. I need to pay God back for what he's done for me. I need to pay God back for what he's done for me. Now, this is gonna be a little bit of a surprise for some of you, but I've said a lot of stupid things from stage before, just hypothetically speaking. I know it's tough for you to imagine, but it is true. I've said things that I shouldn't have said or just things that slipped out. Uh, It's not in my notes, I'll tell you anyway. I'll never forget uh, at my previous church down in Texas, I was teaching through 2 Thessalonians in chapter 3, and I told our congregation on a Saturday night to look at verse 6 in the Bible. It wasn't even verse 6, it was verse 2, all right? (laughs) But I gotta tell you, one of the more dumber things that I've said really has been around this topic of generosity. I remember, I'll never forget... Setting up a, uh, an offering time at my old church and, and telling people, hey, you know what? Offering is our opportunity to pay God back for what he's done for us. And, and if you're grateful for the cross, if you're grateful for the empty, empty tomb, then, then this is your chance to pay God back and to, and to show him how much, you, how much he means to you. Here's the thing. I mean, that, that's just impossible. We can never pay Jesus back for the cross. We can't earn it, and we don't deserve it. The Bible says that we've been saved by grace, not by our own works. Why? So we can't boast, so we can't brag about it, so we can't showcase it on social media. You see, the Lord is the owner of our money. We can't earn our salvation or pay God back with something that's his to begin with. God says in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2, He says, my hands have made both heaven and earth, they and everything, everything in them are mine. Yes, that includes your portfolio. Yes, that includes our 401k. Yes, that includes our checkbook, our credit card statements. Now, the idea that God owns something that maybe we've worked hard for is a little bit offensive and and something that we don't want to accept. Yet the reality is the Bible teaches that God is the owner of everything and we just kind of manage it in the meantime. About three weeks ago, I uh, was on a trip for about five days, and and I always try to bring my kids back a little gift uh, for being out of town, and um, as I was heading back, I was flying through Las Vegas and realized that I hadn't gotten them a gift yet. Las Vegas Airport is not the place to buy children a gift, okay? (laughs) They, they didn't design that airport with kids in mind. And, and so my connecting flight, we were flying down to Dallas, and obviously I used to live there, and so I was familiar with the airport. Uh, I ended up finding my son, John Ryman, a uh, cowboy hat that was rather cheap, and then I bought my daughter, Vera, a little pink horsey that she affectionately later named Tundra. I don't know. Don't ask. All right. And they loved the gifts. I mean, they were so excited to get them, and it was a hit. Well, three nights later when I got back, Vera, our daughter, had disobeyed me, and as a way to punish her, I took little Tundra, that pink horse, away from her. And when I pulled that horse off of her bed from her grasp, you would have thought that I cut her fingers off. <laughs> I mean, she was screaming and crying, and she was stomping her feet, and, and I don't know where she gets that from, all right? I and mean, she kept saying, Over oh, mine, mine, that, that's my. You're taking something that belongs to me. I mean, I gotta tell you, I felt like telling her in that moment, very, you wouldn't even exist if it weren't for me let alone have this little cheesy pink horse, right? And yet when I took it away from her, it was only until I removed it from her grasp that it was revealed she thought it was hers all along, yet, yet she really, it really didn't belong to her, something that I bought for her. Now, as silly as that sounds from our perspective, what if that's how it looks from God's perspective when, when we just hang on to our money with a white-knuckle grip? See, the truth is, is, it's his. We simply manage it. And it's impossible to outgive the sovereign creator of the universe. It just is. I mean, it's, it's who he is. God, God is a generous God. It's, it's what defines him. And so let me just ask you, if you really believed that you didn't own your money, would you be more generous? I mean, could you release it a little bit? Less reluctantly when a need arises. You see, some of us, this is a perspective shift for us. And you see, it's impossible for us to really pay God back for something that's His to begin with. It's impossible, but it's also enslaving. And this is why God is just as concerned about why we give as what we give. Here's another poor motivator in giving it goes like this I want God's blessings. Now, this can be a little bit confusing because Jesus said that it is more blessed for us to give than to receive it. And he did say that, all right? Now, there's no doubt that we receive God's blessing when we put others first in our finances. But understand that there is a difference between a motivation, a motivator, and a byproduct or a result of something, all right? Now, God says that a byproduct of giving is blessing, but if the only reason that we give is to receive that blessing, then with time, we will all think that God owes us something. We'll walk, we'll walk around entitled. And so God doesn't want you to give if you're just trying to use him to get what you want from him. It's really interesting how Paul made it clear that, that God was blessing the Macedonian churches. But understand, you couldn't tell that from their circumstances. I mean, they were going through a lot of grief and trials. Look at what Paul says earlier. In verse 2, he says, in the midst of a very severe trial, talking about the Macedonian churches who were living generous lives, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And so Paul basically says, hey, generosity is not just a way for you to control your circumstances, because these churches were facing a lot of opposition in their communities, They were struggling to make ends meet in their own lives and yet they appeared to be more concerned about others than themselves. Now here's the thing, generosity isn't a way for us to make sure that our circumstances will turn out exactly the way that we want. I mean, a Bentley may never arrive in your garage. (laughs) The CT scan may not come back clear. It's possible that if you are generous, you still may have another miscarriage. You see, generosity won't necessarily change our circumstances, but generosity, what it can do is change the way that we see our circumstances. See, Jesus promised us that we'd be given a storm-proof life, but not a storm-free life. And there's a big difference. In John chapter 16, he said, hey, look, in this world, you're gonna go through a lot of junk. It's gonna be hard, it's gonna be difficult, but he said, take heart because I've overcome the world. In other words, if you're with me and you've trusted what I've done for you, and you believe that I am who I said I am, And I'll give you not just a storm, I won't give you a storm-free life, but I'll get you a storm-proof life, and I'll give you just enough grace and mercy to help you in your time of need. Some of us, we need to hear that. We need to be reminded of that. Here's another bad motivator. It's our last bad motivator in giving. It goes like this. I want others to admire me. I want others to admire me. Now, don't give if you're just doing it for others to think more highly of you. Check out what Paul wrote in chapter 9, verse 7. He said, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, Paul said to decide in your heart. This is an internal decision. It's not something that people can see, all right? This is internal, and it shouldn't be motivated by how others will receive it. And so how you manage your finances, how you manage your money is really between you, God, and your spouse if you're married, And you see, when the purpose of our generosity is right and pure, here's what we can experience. We can be a cheerful giver. We can experience that overflowing joy that the Macedonians encounter. We don't have to walk around bitter and entitled. And so if these are four bad reasons and motivators to give, then why give it all? Right? Right? I mean, if anything, when our motives for giving our offer impure and just aren't true, that simply reveals a misunderstanding about the main point of generosity to begin with. You see, only until we figure out why we give, will God be pleased with what we give. And so here's what I want to leave us with today. It goes like this. That generosity is really a form of gratitude that leverages what we have towards the things that God says matter most generosity giving to others is really a form of gratitude gratitude for what salvation the cross the empty tomb that leverages what we have our money our time our abilities towards the things that God says matter most now generosity is not just a more spiritual way for us to get what we want it's not how we control circumstances or make God entitled to us I mean the main purpose of giving isn't even self-esteem though some of us might think that it's not impressing others with what we're willing to give up Now, generosity is a very practical way for us to simply thank God for what he's done for us and not withholding anything from us to be saved. You see, when we release our money towards others instead of hanging on to it, we help people see and experience the generosity of our creator. And so for Christians, for the church, for us here today, giving is more than just transferring your money from one bank account to another. Giving actually illustrates grace. What's really interesting is the very last thing that we're told Jesus said when hanging upon the cross is, is this phrase, it is finished. Now, in Jesus' original language 2,000 years ago, it comes from the word tetelestai. And, and tetelestai was a common word used in two main ways in the ancient world. The first way was this, that if you had some kind of debt, if you went to the local market and you purchased something and, and maybe you put it on some kind of like layaway program, all right, To uh, Tetelestai was what the banker or the merchant stamped your check with whenever you had paid for that product in full. And so once that debt was paid for, to Tetelestai was stamped on that receipt indicating to everyone that, hey, it's been paid for, it's been taken care of. Now, the other most common way that this word was used was in, was in the context of a jail. All right, so if you were a criminal and you were put in jail, somewhere in that jail, there was a list of all your offenses for why you were in prison to begin with, all right? Now, after the time that you had served, compensated for all of your offenses, the jailer, before he would release you out into the public in freedom, he would stamp that piece of paper with all of your offenses on it with the word tetelestai. It meant paid in full. It meant you are free. Isn't that our story? For those of us who have trusted Jesus. And you see, it's no coincidence that the sinless Savior, the Son of God, moments before he breathed his last he looked out at all the crowds of the world who demanded that he be put to death, who had turned their backs on him, and he said to them, basically, "Hey, look. If you trust what I've done for you, if you believe that I am who I said I am, then I got you covered. It's paid in full. That guilt, the shame, the fear, the insecurity that you you can't deal with and you carry around with you, I, I've got you. I got you covered." That's to tell us it is finished. It's done. It's completed. We can't earn it, but we have it if we've trusted Christ. Now, the amount of our give, giving will never supersede the depth of our gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. That's just my own experience. Sometimes Jesus is referred to as God's tithe to us for our benefit. Now, tithing, just so you know, it's a biblical term that means to give the first 10% of our income. This is a way that we worship God by declaring that we trust him with our money and our finances, and yet also acknowledging that he's the provider of everything, that he owns and manages, he owns it all, and we simply manage it. Now, as followers of Jesus, we're called to tithe to the local church where Jesus is really the lead pastor. Now, tithing is our way of declaring trust in him, and at the same time, it's our way of investing into eternity. Now, this is really cool because Jesus told us, he told us and challenged us to, to not store up for ourselves things here on earth where moths and rust and thieves break in and steal and things just kind of fade away. Why? Because that's temporary. But he challenged us to invest into eternity, to use our money with forever in mind. Now, I grew up in the church, and I've heard that a million different times. And, and honestly, as I was thinking this past week, like, how can we, how can we understand that more clearly? And so up here with me, I have a uh, rope that's about 10 feet long. And actually, it is an extension cord that I ran over with a lawnmower. And uh, (laughs) good thing it was unplugged. All right. (laughs) And this, this rope, this black rope right here, we'll just, we'll call it a rope, all right? We'll just say that this represents eternity. And if it represented eternity, the reality is it would go on forever and ever and ever. And for our finite, limited minds, that's tough for us to imagine and conjure up eternity, like forever. Yeah, forever. It's not just 10 feet long, but just for the sake of this illustration, imagine that this, this black rope right here represents eternity. Now, you may not be able to see it from where you're sitting, but right here there is a thin little eight-pound Uh, test fishing line right here okay and you probably can't see it but we'll say that this fishing line right here represents this life okay James the brother of Jesus told us that life is but a mist that appears for a little while but then it's gone and and we vanish and so life is very short life is very temporary so according to what Jesus said he said hey give, give with give with eternity in mind in other words, give towards the black rope. Don't, don't, give, don't give with the with the fishing line in mind. And I think we would all agree that logically, it probably makes more sense to invest in something that's gonna last and, and be around forever, right? And yet that's not to say that things that are temporary aren't important. All right, a lot of our money and our finances go towards the fishing line just because life happens and we need to keep. You know we have bills to pay, and so the fishing line. When we give towards the fishing line, that might mean your mortgage, it might mean a car payment, it might be clothing or different toiletries, and, and those are things that that are kind of here today and then gone tomorrow. They don't really last. But remember, Jesus said, "Hey, a better way is is to give is to give towards the rope, is is to aim towards that." And so, what does that look like? You see, when you tithe here to crossroads or, or wherever you attend, whatever local church you're a part of, you really invest in eternity. That's not an exaggeration, but it's true. You see, when we give here, we, we are investing into something that matters most to God. What matters most to God? Spending eternity with people. And so that's what we're about here at Crossroads, is leveraging this life towards the things that God cares most about. And so know that when you give here, All right, you are giving with eternity in mind. And that means that a portion of every dollar that's given goes towards our partners in Haiti that have an orphanage. Our partners down there take in children that no one else wants and they feed and care for them. They give them education all in the name of Jesus. They teach them to grow up to know and love and serve Jesus. You see, that's what it really means to give towards the rope and and not towards the fishing line. When you give here, a portion of every dollar that's given goes towards our Buddy Break ministry. Our Buddy Break ministry is something new that we've been doing around here. And, and it's an opportunity once a month for parents of special needs children to come in and just receive a rest and a needed break throughout the day. And, and so moms and dads walk away from our church building not only realizing that, that hey, Rest is something that can be a reality in my life, but you know what, my son, my daughter matters and we want them to walk away knowing that they've been made in the image of God. That's what it means to give towards the rope and not the fishing line. You see, when you give here, every, every portion of your dollar goes towards saving marriages. Because let's be honest, there are a lot of broken homes in our community. And so a lot of our staff, a lot of our volunteers spend countless hours and resources towards coming alongside these moms and dads so that they can be the parents and they can be the spouses that God wants them to be and, and so they can learn what it really means to live a better way. When, when you give here to Crossroads, a portion of every dollar literally goes towards transformation and people's lives being altered for all of eternity. I mean, you witnessed it at the beginning of the service several baptisms that's what it means to give towards the rope and and not the fishing line because jesus said look invest in eternity not not what's temporary and so we're gonna have an opportunity to do that right now and uh the band's gonna come out here and play a song and as they do that we're gonna receive today's offering all right Now, let me just say this before you guys get up and move around, all right? I know that this seems like a huge sales pitch and that this is some subtle attempt for me to get you to give more. It's not that at all. This is a blatant attempt, all right? (laughs) But we do wanna give you an opportunity to, with good motives, if you can give with a cheerful heart, put your money towards something that, that will never fade away and that will always last. And so as this song is sung, if you came prepared today to give, then I uh, just want to invite you to uh, drop check or cash, whatever it may be, in the, in the plate as it's passed here. No making change in the plate, all right? Let's just make that one rule, no making change. But if you didn't come to give then you can give on our website cccgo.com forward slash give or on our app uh, crossroads now that's an easy way uh, for you to give and and this is just a great opportunity for us uh, to give with pure motives but to give towards eternity all right now if you're a guest with us today if you haven't been around here very long then then just let those trays go on by you we're really talking about people that call this place home and this is our chance uh, to to worship God let me pray we're gonna Uh, have a time of worship and then we'll be out of here, all right? God, I know a lot of us walk in here today and we've had a really rough week. Thanksgiving was really different this year. That one person wasn't sitting across the table from us or depression's overtaken. Got a lot of us just, we're just walking through a lot of darkness. and, And so we come in here and we hear about what you've done for us and we hear about the cross. And God, even if our circumstances contradicted, even if we don't feel it, we're trusting that our hope will never fade away or perish because 2000 years ago, we're we're believing that you, Jesus, crashed your funeral, that that you walked out of that grave, proving that you really were who you said you were, God, and that we can be victorious over death as well. and so God, we, we know that we win in the end as followers of Jesus, but in the meantime, it's hard. And would you just continue carrying us? And God, we're grateful for the opportunity to be a part of restoration, to be a part of giving people hope. And that's done very tangibly when we give. And so help us to give with pure hearts, and sincere motives. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.